So welcome to Network Capital, Shiv. I've heard so much about you and uh, followed you on a wide range of platforms. Today, we are here to discuss your book um, and also your life at large. The Art of Management does a fantastic job of presenting the new rules of work in the 21st century. And today, we're going to dive deep into some of them. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, talk to me about uh, yourself, your career. And were you always a, a, a storyteller, a writer? <laughs> okay, so thank you for that. Uh, that's wonderful to be on uh, this uh, Network Capital uh, show. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. So the first thing I would uh, say is that uh, the love for writing was uh, not there in the sense that I didn't recognize it till one of my teachers in Standard 5 said, I think you write well and you must continue this habit. Now, when you are in standard five, nobody tells you that you're good at anything. Okay, for her to tell me that I was good at something was uh, quite a big uh, thing. And from then on, I continued to invest in that. So I was uh, editor of the school magazine. I was editor of the campus magazine. Uh, at IIT, I was editor of the campus magazine at IAMS. And then I used to write regularly for Business World. And then I wrote for Economic Times. I wrote for others. So the habit of writing has been there for quite some time. And publishers have been asking me to write a book for many years. And finally, I think Radhika you know, penned me down and said, hey, you know, you need to write, otherwise no more. So that's why I wrote my first book uh, last year, last January, which was the right choice. And as soon as I finished it and published it and uh, it did well, then Radhika came and said, hey, you need to write your second book. And then that's how this happened. So that's uh, long and short of it. Wonderful. So writing is something that you'd be doing rigorously during the pandemic, it seems like. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So what is art of management all about? The art of management is about three basic things, which is about managing yourself, managing your team, and managing your business. And we always think that, think that management is a concept only for business or corporates. That's not true. Management as a concept or as a discipline applies in all fields of life. And that's why I've got Tendulkar to do the foreword who speaks about managing himself and how he did it. I've got Vikas Khanna to talk about you know, how he as a chef manages it. I've got somebody like Renuka Ramna to talk about how she manages her own enterprise. I've got somebody like Aarti Kelshika to talk about how she managed to write a book and what happened with it. And then we have General Malik, uh, who is the head of the armed forces and Harsha Bogle. So, and then I have Gautam Khanna from a hospital. So I have a wide variety of people, okay, some in business, many not in business, talking about the importance of managing yourself, managing your team, and managing your business. How, um, how did you get in touch with these people? How did you convince them to get involved yeah, with the question. project? Yeah, they were all some friends or you know connections from some time in the past. And uh, when I looked at the topic, managing yourself, managing your team, managing your business, I had to be very clear whom I selected for what. So I spent a lot of time thinking about who are the type of people I want. I originally had a list of maybe about 30, 40 people, but then I brought it down to about 21. And I really wanted people with a wide variety and 
Also a bit of a global uh, slant. I have Oli Pekka Koloswa, who is my ex-CEO of uh, Nokia. Then you have mm. Gisbert Rule, uh, who digitized a steel industry, uh, you know, right. 10 years ago. Okay, because I'd got in touch with him for something else. And then I was very fascinated by his story. And I said, hey, you know, can I interview for this? He said, by all means, you know, if it helps somebody, I'm more than happy to do. So that's how I selected. Wonderful. Um, you've also been sharing about your ideas pretty broadly on social media platforms. What's the, what's the one thing that you've heard from your readers, your... Uh, you know, employees, which has helped you shape your writing over the years? And how's that come through in the book? Yeah, one of the things, which I always believe that you need to give back. You need to give back and you need to give it to society so that people, uh, you know, benefit from it. So I've been a big believer in that. Uh, and uh, one of the things which has dropped off with Kirsh in the last, I would say, 10 years in corporate life is there is nothing called on-the-job training now. No boss has time to groom his subordinates. And one of the ways I believe I can share with the world whatever I know and whatever I can think of of the future is to share it liberally, both within the company as well as on uh, you know, uh, social platforms. And that's what I do. And what a lot of people who follow me tell me is that it's a huge education. I have a different point of view. And mm. they get enriched by reading my point of view. And this comes from whether it's CEOs or directors or even management trainings. I get the same feedback almost hmm. uh, to the word from across the board. Yeah. These days, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, managing yourself is so difficult and so important. That's why I think that section where you cover the various principles from different top performers is something that uh, every young professional, every millennial, every CEO should think actively about. Um, what are some misunderstood things about managing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question. And with respect to the pandemic, I would say one of the things which individuals have gone through is that they have really reevaluated their lives okay, yeah. in terms of, is it worth doing what I'm doing? Am I being fairly paid? Is, is the sole grind worth it? That's one. Second thing, specifically the millennials, I would say they've gotten to what I call social recession. A lot mm. of them have become withdrawn. And that's something that we should watch out for. But coming to the book, uh, I talk about managing yourself in terms of managing your time, managing your ambition, managing your relationship with the organization as examples. Managing your time, even if you want to be on time and you want to do well, remember there's a cultural aspect to it. There are some companies who don't value time. There are some countries which don't value time. So I think time is being monetized today in a digital world. You see all these people saying 30 minutes, your food or money back and things like that. So time has become a monetization vehicle. In a fast changing world, you cannot afford to be slow. I think you know, you'll virtually die if you're slow and that's what's happening to everybody. So you have to manage your time very well. And that's the point I make uh, there. In terms of managing your ambition, that's very, uh, to your question, misunderstood a lot. Mm. Everybody wants to be ambitious, but they are not sure whether it's good or bad. Right. I believe ambition is good. Ambition mm. is good because it raises the bar of the team and the organization. But So when is ambition bad? Ambition is bad when you wear it nakedly on your sleeve and everything is about I, me, myself. When you say I, me, myself all the time, then people will pull you down. 
if you have ambition for the team and the team does well and then people will give you credit for that so it's good to be ambitious but it's bad to be nakedly ambitious and bad to forget both the team and the organization when you are mm. ambitious that's it and finally relationship with the organization i always believe that you must have a positive relationship with the organization somebody like general malik also says that if you are not proud of the organization that you are working for then you should leave there's no point in you know staying there and turning cynical or turning negative and the social recession you talked about uh, have you heard of this phenomena called the great resignation yes become... of course yeah so do you want to tell our listeners yeah. many of whom are millennials from around the world what does that you know, mean to you in the year 2021 right in the beginning of 2021 according to a study done by microsoft 41% of people globally said that they are looking out for a new job and that same number was 61% for india yeah i am told that for 2022 the same number is 61% for the world and 81% for india so almost everybody who can be employed or who is in employment is saying i want a new role mm. now why is that i think there are two three reasons to it one of course is the reevaluation of priorities post the pandemic that's one obvious reason and straight reason the second reason i believe is that people are saying hey you know what i want what i call fearless flexibility from organizations if an organization does not give me flexibility i do not want to work there why should i go to an office if i can work from home for 3 days a week or whatever it is so when people see that their organizations are not giving them that fearless flexibility they are reconsidering their options okay that's the second reason the third reason is people are saying you know what the world is getting digital i am losing my skill base how do i join companies which give me future skills as opposed to past skills hmm. okay so these are the big reasons why people are reevaluating re- and saying i'd rather be in a company where i learn i'd rather be in a company which gives me fearless flexibility and that's what is leading to this massive uh, you know what i call uh, the great resignation that's a really uh, interesting insight i myself have published a new book called uh, the passion economy and the side hustle revolution in the last two years 2 billion almost half a billion people have lost their jobs and these jobs are not coming back so i make case for jobs that offer autonomy mastery and purpose leveraging the internet to form new kind of careers what i notice on network capital in addition to what you said is that the desire to reinvent yourself is very strong absolutely across people of all ages but people seem to be lost or unclear about exactly how to do it because there isn't a prescription manual per se have you found um, art of reinvention within yes. the principles of art of management yeah uh, i didn't write about it in the book but i've just written an article for the hindu business line last week on you know what i call the new vuka if you go back to vuka vuka as an expression started in 1985 with two people called warren bennis and bert nanus remember in 1985 the worldwide web was not there email mm. was not there nothing digital was there so mm. this concept was a physical world concept right now if you go to every board room every meeting room every thing everybody mouths vuka nobody understands it nobody knows what to do with it and i think that's the state of a lot of management literature you just throw jargon yeah. at each other so vuka became just jargon what did vuka tell you that world is volatile it's uncertain it's complex it's ambiguous but what do you do with it it didn't tell you what to do in that sense it's a descriptive model 
it's not a prescriptive mode okay now cut fast forward today after the pandemic i think we live in a world which is both physical and digital it's not only physical it's not only digital it's a combination of the two so i took the same vuka so that it's a simple abbreviation which people have grown with but i twisted it to give it my definition of what life will be today we i think is versatile whether it is a company or a manager if you are not versatile you are dead in the water if you say i only want to be this i only want to go this it doesn't work anymore so habit actually collides with versatility the mm-hmm. more habit oriented you are the less you will take risks okay so companies need to say i need to be omni channel i need to try different business models i need to try new things i need to take out policies which are painful to the consumers okay so you need to try many things and you need to be seen as versatile okay if you are not versatile the consumer will see you as outdated and the employee will see you as not worth working for okay yeah. that's what okay the consumer will see you as not so cool you is for uncomfortable i think all of us need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable you cannot define everything people join a company and say will i get promoted in 2 years okay will i get a cabin in 3 years time will i become a vip those days are over nobody can give you a guarantee today of anything so you have to be uncomfortable in that space and say i can still work and hmm. do well now when whenever we say uncomfortable utkarsh people think of scared oh i'm scared uncomfortable hmm. and scared are not you know the same thing okay uncomfortable means i know that things might not work out exactly the way i want i am doing my very best but i'll take what comes okay that is you know you for uncomfortable c is for collaboration collaboration is absolutely critical because with digital we have end to end visibility of everything in any function or in any institution now today speed in an organization comes when functions collaborate with each other horizontally so digitization is a horizontal capability organizations for the last 300 years have been built on the premise of the armed forces or the church where we drew the vertical hierarchy where information went up the chain and decisions came down the chain in a digital world in an organization customer data is available with six or seven departments from it from finance from sales to everybody to marketing so information which was the power of the vertical hierarchy is no longer the power in a horizontal organization so you need right. enormous collaboration similarly for organizations you are part of an ecosystem if you are delivering something you have to decide whether you want to partner with a swiggy or a zomato or both or whatever it is so you need ecosystem partnerships to grow in the past you could say i will grow on my own and you know i have independent growth today that's not true at all everything is absolutely dependent growth even so politically today sweden and finland are saying i'll join the nato why are they saying that because they've seen what's happened in ukraine right that's why they're saying i want to be part of this thing so you want to collaborate so you have to collaborate a hell of a lot and a is for agility a lot of people say adaptability you can adapt but if you adapt slowly you're dead and that's why i always put agility ahead of adaptability if you move fast you're doing the right things you will always win so my prescription for today's world would be both for companies and individuals and i thought a lot about getting the commonality so that it would be it would fit both people you have to be versatile both as a company and individual you have to be uncomfortable okay with whatever is happening around you both as a company and individual 
you have to collaborate like mad as a company in the ecosystem and as an individual within the ecosystem within your organization and outside and finally you need to be agile okay if you don't do these four you have absolutely no future as a company or as an individual you talk about the new vuka which is fascinating i look forward to the hindu business line article and you talk about a ref, uh, reinvention many times in the book and in your uh, public posts as well reinvention is not easy what are some things that people can do to reinvent themselves at the velocity that keeps them relevant in the 21st century that's very good see how does let's Uh, since you have an audience who are interested in careers etc let's stick with the individual as opposed to the corporation how can an individual reinvent himself okay so let's start with that. number 1 the person can read read a lot whatever you want on the trends or whatever topic appeals to you stay on top of that number 1 number 2 sign up for cross functional project teams in your organization or wherever so that you learn fresh stuff from other departments and your colleagues that's the second thing i would say the third thing i would say is talk to people outside your industry talk to people outside your industry at least two people every month you talk if you are an fmcg talk to the banking sector talk to the ecom sector wherever it is and figure out what they are doing and if they are doing something good it will come to your doorstep that's what i would say and the fourth thing i would say is you know reflect back have the ability to reflect and say hey am i doing the right things am i doing the wrong things? okay where is it that i'm losing out where is it i'm getting you know traction and last and very very important utkarsh in terms of learning is you can learn but i think only if you are able to teach will that learning continue through life so if you just keep learning and you don't have the ability to teach you will lose interest so i think one of the fundamental things of good you know fast learning leaders is that they learn and they have a teachable point of view So here's what I would say: Go to your alma mater. Go and teach in your alma mater. Go to industry bodies. Go and teach there. Go to the Rotary Club or whatever it is. Go to outside bodies so that you give them the benefit of whatever you've learned through a teachable point of view. Whenever I say this, people say, "Oh, Shiv, I'm too busy. I don't have the time." And I tell them very simply: If you don't have the time for society today, society will not have the time for you tomorrow. Maybe you need to wake up. So suddenly people retire and they find that. they are not soft sought after either for boards or for any position they have been so focused you know in a very narrow sense on their company and their job that they have forgotten to contribute to society which is alma mater society bodies etc industry bodies that is when they lose and that's when they realize that they have led a very wrong life so give time to society so that society gives time to you this uh, in a way is also referencing long term thinking and reading many pages of the book many chapters made you realize how important it is to balance the short and the long term do you have any thoughts on that how can people develop or get better at long term thinking so that they don't need to uh, prioritize the urgent over the important or prioritize say getting too narrow over thinking about the society and business as a collective very good question utkarsh here's the thing in the past and i would say define past as maybe 10 years ago okay 10 years ago we would typically say 1 to 3 years is short term 3 to 5 years is medium term more than 5 years is long term <coughs> today if you notice we don't talk of medium term at all that term has just dropped we are either talking short term or we are talking long term at the pace at which life is going on right now i think 
the long term is a series of short terms. You have to think quarter by quarter, half by half, year by year, etc. And strategy leads to tactics. Tactics lead to strategy. Okay, both happen all the time. So I always tell strategy people that in the past, strategy was about landing a 747 on a beautiful runway, which was three kilometers long. The plane was, you know, 250 tons or more, four engines, you followed the ATC instructions, you landed. Today, the way of strategy is landing a fighter jet on a 250 feet aircraft carrier. That's what it is. That's the fundamental difference. Okay. So life is very, very quick, very, very short. The average life of a company in 1930 was 90 years. In 1960 was 60 years. Today it is between 12 and 18. So now which company is planning long, long term? Nobody. Okay. So it's only family concerns or maybe legacy organizations which are thinking that. But fundamentally, if a company is not agile, irrespective of its lineage, it will die. These days, uh many startups are thinking about valuations and uh, raising the next round of funding and creating the next media blitz. The corporations are suffering or seem to be suffering in the financial markets, given the global uh, turn of events. And then there are family businesses that are occasionally struggling to figure out their, their reason for being. This is obviously not true for every company, but this there seems to be this three different vertices uh, that define these kinds of organizations. Are there some takeaways from your book that will make it relevant to people involved in each of these settings? Or would you say that your book, the principles are more relevant for people who are in the organized corporate space uh, in India or abroad? Not at all. I think that's a very good question again. If you look at the concept of a corporation, in the past, and I would say 25 years ago, a concept of a corporation was a public enterprise, which was government run, a private enterprise, which was either Indian run or an MNC, one of the two branches. And the third would be what I would call a not-for-profit organization, maybe like a think tank like the World Bank or you know uh, the Red Cross or something. That's what we thought of organizations as. Add to that today, today you have the government, you have the family organization, you have, uh, you know, the PE firm, you have the VC firm and the NGO, non-profit. So the mm. number of options are very, very different. But the principles of managing them are exactly the same. If you're a startup or an NGO, as an example, if you're a startup, your product or service has to be an outstanding. You have to create huge consumer value for you to get traction. People are chasing valuation. If they chase consumer valuation, that'd be far better. If consumers fell in love with their products and recommended it to many more people, your, auto, your valuation will automatically happen. That's not something people are doing. Everybody is in this race for, I'm a unicorn, you are not a unicorn, you're a sunicorn, etc. I think that race is a mad race which will not win. Nobody will win it. There'll be more losers than winners. Okay, that's what uh, I personally feel about uh, uh, that race. Now, if you look at other you know, uh, examples, let's take NGOs. If you're looking at NGOs or non-for-profit organizations, then you are selling a cause. Is the cause important enough? Is the cause something that appeals to people? Is the cause something that people will volunteer and say, I will give you my time? Okay, so these are many more options available today. 
But the principles of management and the principles of managing your business are the same whether it's a profit organization or a non-profit organization. In a profit organization, you report something. In a non-profit organization, you do not report it. That's all. Fascinating. Um, and another point that I wanted to add on was that the whole fact that you picked up leaders from sports to the armed forces, uh, you know, to the general corporates, also to goes on to say how much you can learn from different fields. Uh, a lot of management is sociology, psychology, or at least principles taken from there. And to me, um, whenever I've read your work, it struck me uh, that you are an interdisciplinary thinker. Is this something that you've consciously developed over the years, or is this something that naturally came to you? No, I think nothing comes naturally in that sense, except, you know, in sport, the people say you have a ball sense, you know, the ability to strike the ball, you know, either in football, etc. Those are skills which are natural and innate. But mm. in management, nothing comes innate, whether it's people management, whether it's marketing, whether it's brands, whether it's supply chain, things don't happen. You're not born with a spoon in your mouth to say you'll be a marketing guy or you'll be a brands guy or whatever it is. You have to learn it. And you can only learn it if you appreciate that things are interdisciplinary, that right. you require many different components to come. Very early on, I learned that innovation happens when at the intersection of cross-functional boundaries. When you put a sales, marketing, supply chain, uh, procurement, guys, four guys together in a room, then you get lots of new ideas. If you put the same marketing guys in a room, the same supply chain guys in, in a room, and the same finance guys in a room, you get no ideas. It's hmm. something I learned very early. So the power of the clash of different functions and different perspectives is what gets you that. And I always believe in that. And it, that's is what I call holistic thinking. Today you have lots of jargon around, you know, design thinking, this, that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think every leader needs to be a holistic thinker in today's world. Um, we've discussed the principles. We've discussed their various chapters of the book. I do want to see um, how these principles have applied to your own career. You worked across industries in a wide range of roles. Um, we have a common friend who's told me a bunch of interesting stories about you. Um, I want you to apply or tell us uh, how some of the principles in the book have been personal to you. And uh, what will be helpful is that if you can apply it in the context of your own career or your own life. Absolutely. So let me start with V, which is versatile. I've never refused a job which my company has said, go and do this job. I always said, fine. If that's what you want me to do, more than happy. Okay, did that. When I moved from what I knew very well, which was FMCG, and I'd done sales, brand management, category management, all the stuff. Uh, when I moved into uh, technology, let's take something like Nokia. Okay, that is a completely different shift. And people said, hey, you know what? This is, uh, you know, uh, people in Nokia said, hey, this guy has never sold boxes. He doesn't understand technology. How the hell has he landed after selling soaps and shampoos, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But I said, hey, you know, I'm here to learn. I can do you know, what I can. Similarly, when I moved to my current role, people said, hey, you know, you've done FMCG, you've done technology, why are you going to a staff role now? But the ability to learn uh, about a conglomerate and the way it operates across many different countries from the center is completely new experience. So the first mm -hmm. thing I would say is you need, you should not think of every move as a risk. Think of every move as an opportunity to say, what new layer can this role really add to me? Okay, that's something which I would definitely say. Next, I would say is giving back to society, which I told you. Right from the time I've been a brand manager, I've been talking at various forums. I've been writing articles, et cetera. 
I never ever refuse an invitation from anybody who's worked for me to come and talk at his new company or her new company. Because if those mm. people have worked so hard for me, I feel it is my duty to thank them for what they've done for me. So anybody who's worked for me, when they call me in their new company and say, hey, Shiv, can you come and talk to my management team or my team or do a speech? I say, by all means, I'll come and do this. No problem. Okay. So I give my time liberally, but in a set of, you know, uh, courses or issues. Uh, I know I'm good at this, which is management, leadership, etc. And I will only offer my time there. I will not go and offer it to something else, which I'm not good at. It's not worth doing. Okay, so I'll say these are two examples I can give you. And the last example I would give you is managing my own time. Okay, I stick to all the discipline. I reply to every mail. I reply to every WhatsApp. I reply to every SMS. Uh, I read every note which is sent to me and I reply on it. So you have to stay disciplined. There is no other way. So these are three things I would say of how I applied it to myself. Yeah. So um, is there a way in which you manage your attention? Because you have to do a lot of focused work during the day. You have to take a lot of decisions that impact the future of the company. Yeah. Um, and you have to reply to thousands of messages and mails. What's your uh, productivity technique? Yeah, I would say all focus and all time management is about avoiding as many distractions as possible. Okay. For example, right. if I'm talking to you now and I go to my phone and start seeing my WhatsApp, etc., I will never be in my flow with you. I will never be in the zone. So once you allocate time, you have to give it everything. You have to give it your very best. Next, whatever you give you know, time to, you must come prepared for it. So I've made my own notes for hmm. this session. If you are not prepared, you'll get caught up. So I would say avoid as many distractions as possible. And second, come prepared for every meeting. I tell all my subordinates and I write it in the book also, be the best person prepared in the room for the meeting. Whether the, you know, the senior most person, the CEO asks your opinion or not is not the point. If you are the best prepared person, if it comes to your turn, you will answer it well and people will notice you. I've always tried to be the best prepared person going into any meeting. Okay. Whether it is media, whether it is, a board meeting, whether it is you know, a review meeting, I read every material which is sent to me, I send it back to them saying, these are my thoughts. So be the best prepared. You cannot lose with that approach. So preparation. And uh, how do you, how you trained yourself to learn at scale? Because uh, if I connect the fact that you've written two books in the last two years, you've been you know, pretty active in your professional life. You've changed a wide range of things. This space of change, um, some of them needs to be a balancing factor. So what's that for you? So you have to decide what's important to you. You know, you can't let somebody else decide what's important to you. Okay, once you decide what's important to you, then you follow that. And you have to live with both the positives of it and the consequences of it. Both mm -hmm. are important. People only want the upside. They don't want the downside. Of course. Okay, so you have to say, for example, if you eat... 10 chocolates a day, yeah, it's quite likely that you'll end up with a sugar issue, right? Okay, you can't enjoy the chocolate and say, hey, you know, hey, God, don't give me the downside of it. That doesn't work. So mm. every decision you make, you are the master of your destiny. You are the master of the decision you've taken. Don't blame others for it. And a good way of thinking about it is don't externalize. The moment you start externalizing things, that's when things fall apart because then you're not taking ownership of your own decisions or what impacts you. Okay, I blame it on Utkarsh. I blame it on the company. I blame it on my boss. When in reality, hmm. maybe I'm the problem. 
Um, yeah. Uh, would you connect the uh, art of management to the first book you wrote? Because to me, they do sound like uh, interconnected in ways more than yeah. one. Yeah, the right choice is about dilemmas people face at work, career hmm. dilemma. Should I do my second MBA? Should I take a sabbatical? Is money the only thing which is important in life? Should I go back to the company where I quit if they offer me a job? Okay, so there are various of these things that uh, we've uh, discussed in that book. So there were 10 career dilemmas and uh, I talked about them and I got people who had actually gone through that dilemma and who were willing to tell the truth uh, and be as candid as possible in that book. Uh, this book is about how do you manage your career. So when I wrote the book, people said, this is very good, we like it, but can you tell us how to manage the career? Okay, mm. you're <clears throat> resolving specific dilemma is fantastic, but how do I manage my life and career? And that's why this book came about. In a sense, they're interrelated, yes. And uh, did you know that Network Capital runs like a nano degree called I Don't Know What I Want to Do With My Life Fellowship? Oh, I see, fantastic, okay. Yeah. So it's basically career confusion is okay. something that affects people across ages. And yeah. we've seen a lot of our community members come back and say that some of the points in your book have really resonated with them. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that you managed to do is to explain that confusion isn't necessarily a bad thing. Absolutely, Confusion can be paralyzing. But do you want to build on that and then yeah, connect so it to how you absolutely. manage yourself? Uh, I go back to the you of the VUCA that I talked for you, uncomfortable. Okay, one of the reasons for being uncomfortable is confusion. You're confused, so mm. you're uncomfortable because we want clarity. See, in the old days, you could manage everything between black and white. Black would be maybe 60, white would be 40, whatever it was. Today, that's a lot in the gray. So you have to take decisions, you have to make moves when you don't have all the information with you. So typically not having all the information leads to confusion. And more important, it leads to procrastination too. So confusion, procrastination are all examples where people are uncomfortable being. So I would say it's absolutely fine to say, I don't know. It's absolutely fine to say, I will think about it and come back. Okay, there is no you know, reason to say, I know all the answers, I will give you all the answers. I think those days are over. So all you can do is to, at that point of time, given that context, have you collected all the information? Have you assimilated it? Have you streamlined it? And then you say, hey, you know, this is what I think. As long as you can do that, it's fine. And it's fine to be a little confused. For example, let's take young people who are coming into careers today. People who hmm. finish business school or engineering. They don't know whether they want to be CEO. They don't know whether they want to be CFO. They don't know which company, uh, you know, most placement is a lottery anyway. So are they confused? Yes, they are confused. Can we blame them? Answer is no. You know, so I think it's good to have some degree of confusion. But here's the catch. And it's a very important point you raised. You can't go to every meeting and say, I'm confused. Some days somebody will say, hey, boss, can you please clarify? You know, so I have a colleague who, say, you know, who says every time, I'm confused. And I'm fine. Someday you need clarity to know. Okay, or you say, I'm confused. I need help. Hmm. But you cannot sit in isolation and say, I'm confused. I don't need help, but I'll keep saying this. It's too complex and confusing for me. Uh, hmm. Then you don't deserve your role. So a degree of confusion is good, but clarifying that confusion, either with help or whatever you do, I think is just as important. And I feel that uh, asking the right questions also helps. So if you know the kind of questions to ask of others and yourself, 
you find yourself in a clearer space. And uh, you seem to have learned to ask the right questions from people across industries, across age groups, across countries. How have you nurtured that art? How have you become a person who asks better questions? You know, they, uh, I think it's a good question you ask again. If you look at what the World Economic Forum has said are important skills for the future or capabilities, one is complex, complex problem solving. Second is critical thinking skills. And three is creativity. And one of the things about asking good questions is do not ask the obvious and the mundane, but make the connections between the data, make the connections with an outside world, make the connections with other industries, and then say, hey, you know, this is what I see. So for example, everybody is saying right now, you know what, the car industry is down. Volume sales are down because simple, you know, semiconductor problem, this problem, that problem. So total, you know, new cars sold are fair enough. The question which I'm asking a number of people is, okay, second-hand second car sales are up. Is there an application or an opportunity there for any of our businesses? What should we be doing? Okay, pre-owned cars are up. So stating the obvious is obvious, but thinking beyond to say, is there an opportunity? Okay, that's how you think about it. Connecting the dots and looking at outside your industry or outside whatever you're discussing. In your own life, have dots connected forwards or backwards? I've been lucky that they've connected uh, forward most of the time, but uh, that's a rare thing. You know, I would not uh, advocate it. But again, having said that, if there, it's a dot which I would have liked to connect. I think I should maybe have gone out abroad when I was a much junior manager, maybe a middle manager. I went uh, to run Nokia and emerging markets, virtually when I was CEO of emerging markets. If I'd gone earlier, maybe you know, that experience would have been better. So maybe that's a dot I could have connected earlier, but no regrets, mm. yeah. Yeah, but how have you been able to connect the dots uh, forward? Is there something that young professionals should learn a lot from? Yes, I think you have to stay on top of your learning curve. You have to be very, very good at what you do. No experience, right. number one, there's no substitute. Number two, you have to build your own network. You have to build your network. You cannot expect the network to come just because of your visiting card or your company. No, it will not happen. You have to build your own network. And you have to give to people. Then people will say, hey, you know what? This guy is a good guy or this girl is a good girl. Maybe we should have him or her on our team. Okay, that's how. That's the only way it works. Be good I'm at sure. your job, network effectively, and give liberally. Are you a competitive person? See, here's the catch. Uh, going back to what I said about ambition, you should be competitive with yourself. I'm competitive with myself in the sense that I want to be better tomorrow than what I am today. Hmm. Okay, I want to do better at everything that I'm doing. If I can write a good article, I challenge myself to say, how can I write a better article? If I written a book last year, I challenge myself to say, can I write a better book? Can I write a better book? Can I make a better speech? Can I you know, think afresh, etc.? So I challenge myself. I don't compete with others. Competing with others is a dysfunctional activity because you compete with somebody who's running at 40 kilometers an hour, you run at 50 in the office and you think you're king or you think you're king or he or she or whatever it is. After 10 years, suddenly you'll come across at somebody who's been running at 80 kilometers an hour and you are unfit to even run against that person. Okay, hmm. so competitiveness has to be in your head. You have to raise your bar yourself all the time. Never get into relative comparison. Because each person has an altitude at which he or she flies. Some hmm. people will fly at 50,000, some people at 20,000, some people at 30,000. 
If you fly at 50,000 feet, you have to ask yourself, okay, I'm flying fine. What do I need to do to fly at 55? Or am I happy with 50? So it has to be in your head, that competitiveness issue. When you do that, then you'll be proud of your achievements. When your competitiveness is against the other person, if I say I want to be better than Utkarsh and that's why I'm doing this, then it turns to arrogance because I want to prove to you that I'm better than you. Hmm. Okay, so this relative benchmarking or relative marking actually leads to arrogance. Okay, so I would say benchmark your own standard all the time. As long as you're getting better on your own standard, you will always win. Got it. Um, uh, are you an, have you ever envied somebody or been jealous of somebody? Or have you been a victim of envy or jealousy? Oh, that that will obviously be there, uh, you know, uh, uh, right through your career, you'll have it, you know, uh, especially if you have a decent straight line career, etc. But, you know, one of the things which happened to me in, uh, when I was studying, you know, one of my classmates came and told me, hey, you know what, we could have been very good friends, we have similar interests, but we've never been good friends, uh, you know. I said, yeah, I always wondered why. And then this guy told me, you know what? I see a lot in you, which is what I saw in myself, but you know, uh, God seems to have given you more talent and I could never accept that. But today I'm telling you I'm not drunk, but uh, you know, I think you're very talented and you'll go far, okay? So that made me realize very young that you know, peer group is what it is. You can't manage them. You can't manage their emotions. You can be good to the job. You can be good to your company. And the peer group will say what it wants. Okay, some people will say, okay, Shiv is good. Some people will say Shiv is bad. Some people will say Shiv is a phony. That, that's their call. You can be as authentic as what you want to be. If you run your life trying to see what peer group will think of you, what they'll say of you, forget it. Okay. I've, you know, some things have never, ever bothered me. I've never known the timings of the workplace I've worked in. I've never known my salary to the decimal point or detail. And I've never worried about who my boss is. I've always said I'll do my best. If my boss recognizes it, fantastic. If it if he or she doesn't recognize it, it's their problem. It's not my problem. You know, So that's the way I always led it. So there will always be people who will support you. There will always be people who will be naysayers. That's okay. You can't right. live your life you know, on that. The support always gives you a high because you feel good when people say good things about you. But yeah. equally, many people you know, drown when they get criticism. As long as you understand that the criticism is for your good and you trust the person who is criticizing you or telling you something, then that is valid. Other, most of the other stuff is invalid. Yeah. In the last segment of uh, our discussion, I want to turn to surprising insights from top performers who feature in your book in various shapes or forms. Uh, talk to us about the three most non-obvious things that came up that you would not have expected uh, a person to mention or discuss. No, the first thing, if you go through all the 21 things, is that all of them say we failed, but we persisted and succeeded. Hmm. Okay, that one thing. Normally, you don't find successful people telling you that they failed. You look yeah. at whether it's a Tendulkar, you look at General Malik, you look at a Harsha Bogle, you look at a Vikas Kanna, you look at a Gautam. Everybody talks about failure. They take it in their stride. And I think that's a huge, huge uh, lesson. Okay, Absolutely very important lesson, uh, no doubt about it. The second is all of them talk about, okay, you know, I need to stretch myself. I am responsible for my own destiny. Nobody else is. Okay, Absolutely nobody else. However, however often it is said, people do not you know, realize 
the seriousness or the you know impact of that and the third thing people always say is that you know i never looked at you know other options for money i didn't do things for money i did it because i enjoyed doing what i was doing hmm. these are things which you know from the non obvious point of view which come across from the book yeah um is there anything that i should have asked you that i didn't no i think you've uh, covered uh, a lot of uh, good ground uh, a question which a lot of people ask me is did you write it yourself and i say yes <laughs> a lot of i poured over it poured over it edited it re-edited it etc so yeah all right um all the very best for uh, your writing you. your management and i know you're a teacher at scale because you're writing and your work reaches lots of people we would love to have you back